You're listening to episode 60 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for birds on the black. He's Alex, joined by Kyle Reese, and together they cover a full week of off-season baseball news and rumors. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 60 of the Chirps podcast from Birds on the Black. I am Alex Chrisafuli. I am, I guess, the main host today because Tara Wellman is out, but... I am joined by the star of our site, uh, the, the uh-huh. one and only uh, Kyle Reese. Uh, and it's a great time to have Kyle here because there's a lot going on so he can tell us what's going on. Kyle, how are you doing? I know nothing. <laughs> well, the, the Cardinals traded an outf- a minor league outfielder that I had never heard of for another minor league, outf- another minor league outfielder I had never heard of earlier today. So... It had Tara and I had to attempt to talk about that, that would have been hilarious. Uh, having you on will make it slightly less hilarious. We might actually learn something. So you, you actually, you certainly know something. You know more than we know, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I don't know much about Austin Dean. I know that a couple years back he was the Florida Marlins Minor League Player of the Year. Uh, I know a little bit more about Diawell Burgess, although I'm sure that that's not how you pronounce his last name. Uh, than maybe uh, uh, some other people do. He was kind of a highly thought of international signing in 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he ended up going to the Dominican Summer League right away and struggled. And when I say highly signed, I believe that the Cardinals could only spend $300,000 on him. So he signed for $300,000. Uh, was kind of rough in the Dominican Summer League in 2017. Repeated... All right. uh, see, now this is where I get mixed up. I can't remember if it's 2017 or 2018. It's so hard with the Dominican kids, and this is why I hate the system. Because you're talking about signing 16-year-olds. Uh, hey, I, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you real quick. Yeah. Because you started off saying, I know nothing. You yeah. just rattled off info that literally 0.0009% of the population actually knows. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but go ahead. Well, it's good because I'm making it all up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyways, he, he's an outfielder. He has good size. He's like six foot one, 200 pounds. He had a rough debut with the Cardinals in the Dominican Summer League, repeated the Dominican Summer League uh, in 2019, was lights out, uh, one of the better hitters in the Dominican Summer League in any of the leagues while he was there repeating the level. Got moved up to the Gulf Coast League and really struggled. Uh, the knock that I've heard on Diawill from some of the people that I, I've made contacts with over the last couple of years is that while his bat is interesting and he makes a lot of hard, loud contact, there's a certain amount of athleticism that you question for someone his age. Like He has a frame that's projectable. He has a nice, quick swing. Uh, very, very little wasted motion in his swing, but he just doesn't have a lot of athleticism for a kid that age. Uh, also, when when kids of any age repeat the Dominican Summer League, whether they're 16 and 17 or 17 and 18 or 18 and 19, generally that second time through, they put up outrageous stats. And that was the case with, with Diawell. So you'll see his stats, you'll get excited. Uh, I saw that Fangraphs tweeted out something like, his max exit velocity last year was 107. That's a kid who can hit the ball really hard in the Dominican Summer League. Uh, left-handed swinger, right-handed thrower. But he's far enough away with enough questions about his athleticism uh, and you know maybe his own development track to, to trade for a player who is, I guess, major league ready if you want to make the case that Austin Dean is major league ready. I, 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 like I said, I don't know much about Austin Dean. I know he was player of the year, uh, uh, minor league player of the year a couple years back for the Marlins. I know that just from reading about him today, it seems like a lot of, uh, like the Cardinals intrigue comes from the fact that, he, you know, he can play outfield, he can play a little first base, but it comes from the fact that he makes good, hard contact. And he's kind of a spunky, super energy, energetic player who might project well as a fourth or fifth outfielder or might give them a little bit of, uh, uh, I guess, protection if something were to happen with Ron Helrevelo in, in that type of role. Uh, that, that's all I know in my thoughts. I, 
you know, I, I hate when the Cardinals trade away an 18-year-old kid who raked in the Gulf Coast or in the DC, DSL, but uh, there's still, like, he has a 5% chance of making the major leagues, and I would say it's even less than that. And, uh, you know, I hate the fact that the Cardinals gave up a 40-man spot for Austin Dean, but it's easy enough to try to pass him through waivers. That's how he found his way on the Cardinals in the first place, so... Uh, you know, Alex, what did you think of the move? Did you have any initial thoughts or feelings about it? I, I did not. And in fact, obviously I misspoke earlier when I said, uh, you know, these are basically two minor leaguers swapped for one another because Austin Dean actually played, uh, at, at the MLB level, right? Last year with yeah. the, uh, with, with the Marlins. In fact, he's in that famous kind of, uh, uh, almost viral tweet where, what some Marlins fans were like stacking beer cups and yeah. from the outfield, he threw a ball and hit the top one. Yeah. I, a one in a million shot. It was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and this also fills in the whole that Joe Sheehan noted yesterday that the Cardinals, believe it or not, were, had been the only team so far this off season who hadn't added a player who played in the majors last year. Um, that is no longer the case with the addition of Austin Dean. But to answer your question, I have uh, really nothing to say on this because mm-hmm. um, everything I know uh, about these guys in this transaction, I just learned from from hearing you speak. Uh, uh, you know, I knew when, when the Cardinals made the trade, I guess, last week for Matt Libertor, I knew that was a big deal. or I knew he was a big prospect for the sole fact that I had actually heard of him. Yeah. Uh, if, 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 if you are in another team system, meaning if you're not in the Cardinals system um, and you're in, you know, you haven't reached the majors yet, you're a prospect and I have heard of you, that means you are a very big deal. Um, if I haven't heard of you, that means nothing. You could still be a very big deal. Uh, my point is, I don't know these guys. I'm not educated on, on prospects in the minors uh, like I should be and certainly not like you are. So, yeah, I, I, I knew absolutely nothing. Mm. Well, yeah, and you know, honestly, I think I think it feels more like a, a Drew Robinson type trade. You know, granted, there was uh, Patrick Wisdom for, for Drew Robinson, but I, I think that ideally that'll be the role that Austin Dean plays with the Cardinals. Um, yeah, you know, not in the infield, in the outfield, but I think it'll be something like that. All right. So that is not the trade, or that's not the transaction that most Cardinal fans were... Uh, I guess, waiting in anticipation to hear about today. Uh, you know, I, mostly we've been thinking about Nolan Arenado. Um, there was a report on Sunday that basically said that the two teams had talked. Um, and I think what Morosi said today, that they had exchanged names. Um, so just, again, furthering the idea that the Cardinals and Rockies have, at the very least, engaged each other um, in the idea of a trade for Nolan Arenado. Uh, that's, I, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's such a complicated deal. Uh, it's, it's a deal that is, on the one hand, very intriguing. Like, I, I would actually love to see him in, in the lineup. But also, on another hand, it could be very risky. It's also kind of scary uh, if something like this were to go down, depending on how much we give up and assuming that we would have to take on this whole contract. But I, I guess, one, do, do you see a deal like this actually happening? And two, what would the deal look like to you if, if you feel comfortable speculating on that? I'd, I'll maintain that I still don't see a deal happening. Since the news broke last week that there was a chance of this happening, I, like I just try to look at it as practically as possible. And there are so many moving parts to make it happen between, you know, not only Arenado's no trade, which shouldn't be an issue coming to St. Louis, I wouldn't think. Uh, but, you know, it, it, some of the speculated names, Matt Carpenter has to waive his no trade clause. And then you have the issue of uh, Nolan Arenado's opt out. And then what are you paying for exactly? Are you paying for the two years? Or are you paying for the entire contract? On top of that, like, what prospects are going to make this work? And are you willing to part with those prospects to make it work? There are so many and just too many moving parts. And then on top of that, and I feel like I feel kind of like a curmudgeon for even bringing it up, but the Cardinals have nearly 165, $170 million committed to next year's payroll. And then, you know, depending on how um, uh, arbitration years go and, 
uh, stuff like that, there's a chance it could have already 150, you know, anywhere from 130 to 160 million dollars committed to next year as well. And, you know, I believe the Cardinals could spend $300 million on salary and still turn a profit. Uh, but I think the Cardinals have, uh, just based on what I've seen over past years, I believe that the Cardinals, Mr. DeWitt has set somewhat of a hard cap on what he feels comfortable with them spending. And I'm sure it increases probably 3% every year or something like that. Uh, but I felt like last year they were pretty close to that number and they were like right at 170 last year. <clears throat> so pardon me. All of this is to say, all I see are obstacles. And it's not like Giancarlo Stanton or Arenado, or like the Rockies had to move Arenado. It wasn't new ownership. Uh, it wasn't a new front office. They weren't trying to get out from underneath the contract. And they didn't just get scorned by their star player that they had just tried to trade to two other teams. Uh, completely different situation there. So the Rockies have a little bit more power and quite a bit more leverage in this situation. And I don't like. I don't feel comfortable speculating. Uh, I will say that I would love for it to happen. I all I see are the obstacles. Uh, I, I, the other thing I'll say is people seem to think that uh, Matthew Libertor would end up getting traded in this deal, and I don't think there's any possible way that that happens. I believe that the Cardinals acquired him because they they view him as unique and they view him as special. I, I think what we're caught up in is his name and that he's new. And what we're missing is the fact that his presence in the Cardinals organization allows them to trade another pitcher that they might not otherwise have, whether that be Zach Thompson or Johan Oviedo or Angel Rondon or, or a, you know, another pitcher that I'm not even bringing up. Not like Ponce de Leon or Austin Gomber, uh, but like even Henesis Cabrera, where maybe in the past, before they acquired Matthew Libertor, they wouldn't have felt comfortable trading him. But make no mistake, they just acquired their best pitching prospect in potentially years maybe since Alex Reyes or Jack Flaherty. And the Cardinals aren't the kind of organization to just hand that over. Uh, right. I think that's more of a pre... If it's going to be a precursor to another move, it's not going to be a move involving uh, Mr. Libertor. Well, one one interesting thing I, I saw today, I, I believe Derek Gould noted that one of the hang-ups or, I, I guess, an impediment to a deal getting done so far is that the... Cardinals were negotiating with the Rockies as if they were getting two years of a player because mm. of the opt-out. And the Rockies were negotiating with the Cardinals as if they were giving up, what, what is it, seven years? Yes. How many years? Yeah. And yeah. So it's like, well, that's, that seems like a problem. Yeah. <laughs> or I, I, maybe I don't have that right because that sounds so ridiculous that they wouldn't be able to at least come to some meeting of the minds on that beforehand. But it, but it was something like that. Like the op- the opt-outs do seem to at least be causing a bit of a problem. And I, I don't remember I, – I do recall from off-seasons a couple years ago, I want to say the Jason Hayward off-season, when he signed the contract with the Cubs that had two opt-outs, like Manfred spoke up and said like, you know, uh, or, or at least privately said, I know it was reported that Manfred was not wild about all the opt-outs that were being handed out in contracts. And – I don't quite remember the reasoning at the time, but I wonder if this has something to do with it, just that it muddies the water anytime you you try to do a transaction. Although I don't I don't quite remember what his reasoning was. If maybe you do, I don't know. No, I, I don't. I, I will say I looked it up because I feel like I've been doing it wrong, and it is six more years of Nolan Arenado. Uh, six more years, okay. Yeah, two years so, in the opt-out, and then uh, an additional four on top of that. I, I, wanted, I was curious, and I've been meaning to look, and I forgot. I mean, that's something that you really have to somehow quash beforehand, right? Or otherwise, yeah. you just never can get a deal done. Unless the Cardinals feel confident taking that risk that, no, no, we're going to, you know, he's going to, he, he'll be here for more than two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, you know, it gets back to the point where the Rockies really do have a lot of leverage in, in this because they don't necessarily have to clear payroll. They'd like to, and they definitely want to build for the future. But there isn't an urgency on their matter or on their side to, to move him. So you, they can dig their they can dig their heels in and say, you know what, if you're going to acquire Nolan Arenado, you have to give us six years worth of talent, not two years. And now with you know a good segue here, now with you know Josh Donaldson signing with the Minnesota Twins tonight and a potential. Uh, Chris Bryant uh, uh, a trade maybe on the horizon as 
his case against his grievance against the Cubs looks like it might come to an end this week. Uh, you know, maybe the smart thing for the Rockies to do is to wait, let the third base pack thin out and see what they can get from there. Uh, Alex, you know, it's been a busy 24 hours. What were your, what were your quick impressions about uh, Josh Donaldson signing with the Minnesota Twins? I think the first thing that popped in my head is that, well, shoot, this is going to make it tougher to get a player like, Arenado because now the Braves are probably going to be a player for him. But I don't know if that's based on any reality or not. My, my second thought is, and one of the reasons why I was hung up a little bit on the idea of Josh Donaldson is the fact that he's 34 years old. And, you know, he, I believe the contract, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's four years for $92 million, uh, w- with the Twins. I think I saw it's the biggest contract for a guy um, older than the age 33. Past his age 33 season, uh, with an exception of the deal that Kevin Brown signed with the Yankees. Uh, I assume it was, the, yeah, the Yankees way back when. And if you look at the projections, Donaldson is still supposed to have a pretty good 2020 season. You know, he's, there's no reason to doubt him right now. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, we know what typically happens to to guys when they hit 35, 36. It doesn't mean they're going to be bad players, but it usually means they're not going to be the same player they, they were when they were 30. So I, I would have been a little, a little hesitant had the Cardinals made that deal. I would have – I don't know. I, I would have been nervous about it. Um, and I know it's, it's, it's silly to, like, worry about, like, well, what's this going to look like in 2023 when, you gosh, what's the planet going to look like? You know, we might yeah. – what am I going to look like in 2023? <laughs> I mean, I, I'll have, I have bigger things to worry about than <laughs> Josh Donaldson's contract. But, but yeah, that, those were kind of my first thoughts. Um, what about you? Yeah, I, you know, my first thought is I'm really glad that this is the free, like this is the off season we've had. Uh, yeah, it's fun, right? It's fun. There's rumors and there's movement to like work in unison with those rumors. You know, last year there were a ton of rumors, but nothing was happening, and it it, it, it like ruined the fun from that. But between the signings and the trades and the, the rumors circulating and the players available, you know, with with very little involvement from Jerry Depoto and AJ Preller. I mean, Preller got involved a little bit, but yeah, like that makes it even more exciting. It's Major League Baseball handled this right with the collective bargaining agreement coming up. Like, remind fans that this is what it's like. It's fun. Maybe those two years were outliers, but I love it. I'm excited, and uh, those were my first thoughts. I and then when you start thinking about it a little bit more, I thought good for the Twins. I love the fact that the Minnesota Twins are spending big money on free agents, but I definitely worry. That uh, man, that's a lot of money for a 34 year old. You know, I I can't imagine. I mean, how many players even like? I would love to know the percentage of players that even make it to the age of 38 as a player. Like, mm-hmm. that, I, I can't imagine it being more Good than question. yeah five percent. You think? I mean, man, that even that seems high to me. One percent, maybe. I guess we would have to look at it from the perspective of you would have to narrow down the sample to players who've had careers like Donaldson right you know mm-hmm. but you know you know play, I, what is he through his career like a 35 win player or something like I'm just throwing that number out there I really have no idea but that sounds right for a player like Donaldson um, it's, it's hard because he I mean for between 2013 and 2016 he was I don't remember but he, he was like a premier player I mean I, mm-hmm. I it's almost I almost feel like it's more than that like closer to uh, 40 or 45, but to, yeah, to your point, like a, a pretty elite type player. Yeah. Well, you know what? I have a computer sitting in front of me right now. I'm actually going to look that up. Uh, so w- what you said kind of reminded me of something I was thinking about earlier. And I, I want to give a warning that this, this might be one of the dumbest things I've ever said. Um, but yes! with, with, yeah. <laughs> all, right, all right. So uh, Donaldson uh, per fan graphs is, uh, is, has a 41.4 wins above replacement uh, by Fangrass for his career. So pretty much splits the difference between uh, what we both said. So we were kind of, uh, <laughs> we were kind of in the ballpark. Uh, now get, so, back to your, get back to the dumbest thing here about Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah I, I, I wouldn't mind a drum roll for how. Yeah, uh, I got it. Hold on. Let me get the microphone close. <laughs> yeah. All right, do it. All right. All right. So, so with regard to Nolan Arenado, it's been reported that, 
perhaps one of the reasons the Cardinals are in on him in spite of the, in spite of his huge contract, which, you know, seems to kind of uh, run contrary to the way they normally operate is that Bill DeWitt is uh, somewhat enamored with him or really likes him. And, and that's kind of what's driving it here. And it's actually Mosaic who might be pumping the brakes a little bit more. Uh, and we talked about the opt-outs and how those really complicate things. And that could be, um, that could be what ultimately could prevent a deal. Um, and then we think about a player like Anthony Rendon, who's basically the same age as Arenado and who signed a, what I think was a pretty solid contract with the angels for, you know, when we're talking about one of the guys who is one of the premier players in the league, a top tier player, one of the best players, uh, I would reckon to say he's probably better than Arenado. Um, so, but my question is, is another reason why the Cardinals, in spite of everything I just said, and in spite of what I said about the opt-outs, is another reason why the Cardinals might be interested in Arenado is because of that opt-out. Is because they're like, you know what? Yeah, we might have to overpay him for two years. You know, overpay in terms of what we give away. But if all goes according to plan and he exercises those opt-outs, then that means we got two years of good production from Nolan Arenado during a time when our window is very wide open, and then we don't have to pay for ages, what, 30 through 34, or ages 31 through 35, whatever it is. Man, I, the only thing I'll say, and like I feel like that's how I would think if I was in the front office. I, I, I've always kind of felt that I would offer every starting pitcher uh, on the free agent market, if I was going after a starting pitcher, the opt-out. Be, mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, yeah, you can have you can have a one-year opt-out. You can have a two-year opt-out. Any type of opt-out you want. And then try to get them out of the contract as soon as possible. Uh, <laughs> my, my only thought is I, I've heard Mr. Mosellac say on a couple different occasions that they don't necessarily – and, of course, you know, he uses more eloquent words than I'll ever be able to. But uh, he, he kind of implies that they don't necessarily feel the same way about the opt-out in kind of a – they they appreciate cost certainty, and they mm-hmm. I think they like in their minds they'd rather run the cost certainty, and you know maybe deal with some potentially bad years than gamble. Like this isn't an organization that gambles or is interested in gambling, and I think that they view that as a gamble one way or the other. Uh, whether it be you get through two years and man now we got to give them forty million instead of you know, uh, declining 34 that depreciates to 27 or whatever it is, I, you know, or, it, well, you know, our man, now we've got to pivot and try to find his replacement because he wasn't good enough, uh, which I would view as a bit of a blessing, but they might not necessarily view it that way. So I, I love where, where your head is there. I don't necessarily know if that's in line with the Cardinals philosophy, even though it probably makes more sense. Yeah. Um, there's a reason why I prefaced it with this might be one of the dumbest things uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've ever said, but I, I often think a lot of people look at the out, the opt outs backwards, which is that um, instead of, Oh no, what if he opts out? It's Oh no. What if he doesn't opt out? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Uh, as, as we've seen with uh, you know, we will probably see with Giancarlo Stanton as we've seen with Jason Hayward, uh, and, and whatnot. I don't even know what's going on with Stanton's contract right now. I don't remember quite the quite the details of it, but you yeah, know, after, obviously, his, after all that went, I know I say after all that went down, it was like, well, I guess I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Um, do you think the Braves are going to be a player for Arenado, or is that very? You know, we've obviously seen them be very cheap. Uh, you know, thrifty as well. So I love that. Uh, I think that they've probably already been players. I think that they've probably been playing this. You know, I don't think that they were solely focused on bringing Josh Donaldson back. Yeah, uh, I, they've got a really good farm system too, and they've got some really good pitching. I, I you know, if I'm hedging my bets, I'm saying that they've po- probably been on the periphery of this the entire time, and maybe this this gets them to be just a little bit more aggressive. But I don't think they're going to be like. I don't think it changes their philosophy. Exactly, but they're coming from a position of strength too, because they have uh, uh, Camago and Riley 
uh, as third base options too. So, like whatever type of leverage that I think the Rockies might have, it gets downplayed a little bit because at least to start the year, the Braves have options, and Charlie Colberson too can play third, I believe. Uh, they, they have options right. too. So. I do know one thing that I've heard Derek Gould say. I listened to the last be, uh, Best Prospects in Baseball. It's the only one I've ever listened to, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit. And everyone should listen to it because it's great. But, uh, I, I, you know, I get the impression that, just from hearing Mr. Gould talk, that the Rockies are, because they feel like they can come from a position of strength, that it doesn't seem like a trade for, involving Arenado is going to happen before spring training. You know, it, something like that's going to happen as maybe, you know, uh, the chips fall where they may in other organizations. And, you know, you get a little closer to the deadline and they can actually uh, yeah, leverage some of other teams' desperation to get players that they want or to get a richer haul. Yeah. Alex, what, 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 what kind of percentage chance do you put on them? Like, how do you feel about their chances of getting Arenado? Like, what kind of percentage chance would you put on it? Hmm. So a part of me wants to say it, it's a very small percentage. Um for some of the reasons you said, mainly that, you know, the Rockies don't have to part ways with him. Like there's, there's no rule that says they, you know, it's unlike, as you said, unlike Stanton, you know, they, they don't have to trade him before the season starts. On the other hand, when it comes to the Cardinals, to me, and, and maybe my memory is just a little, I don't know, maybe my memory isn't as good as it should be on this. But it usually feels like with the Cardinals, when they get to this point that, you know, they've been talking to this guy or they've been feeling things out when it comes to a trade, that they usually get the trade done somehow. Am I wrong? Like, I guess I'm thinking about, maybe I'm thinking about Goldschmidt, although, you know, that kind of happened. I feel, feel like that happened all pretty, pretty quickly. You know, it's, it's, that one didn't draw out over like a week or however long. It's, See, until, Arenado, but. Un- until this week, it felt a lot like Goldschmidt to me because it was, you know, I I feel like since the beginning of the 2019, entering the 20, you know, between 2018 and 19, since the beginning of the 2018, 2019 off season, there were like little rumors here and there that the Cardinals were interested in Goldschmidt, but no one really knew exactly if Arizona was going to trade Goldie or what it would take or, you know, and, and also there were like logistical reasons why you would think the Cardinals wouldn't trade for Goldie you know, mostly being that he had one year left on his contract. And that's not really the way that the Cardinals play things. Like, they, they usually try to trade for a guy who has at least a couple of years unless they're in a desperate situation. Um, so, uh, it felt like that until this last week where everything is just... I mean, every day it seems like there's two new reports that aren't new reports, just the same guy writing the same, like, the, different, the same thing differently. Uh, yeah. So, to, like, to your point... It, it really did kind of feel that way that, you know, along the lines of Marcelo Zuna and Paul Goldschmidt over the last couple of years where you were hearing like little tidbits here and there and you could almost feel momentum building a little bit. And then it got quiet for a little bit and then the trade happened. Uh, but with there being so much noise here, it, it, it seems like almost too much noise. Like I, I don't remember there ever being this much noise prior to a Cardinals trade Ever. It's just like it, it, tomorrow, if he, the Cardinals traded for Nolan Arenado, it would be like, oh, we've been building to this for a couple days now right. or a week. And I don't remember that ever being the case. You're exactly right. I feel like in a normal Cardinals transaction, if this trade were to get done, it would have happened like on Sunday when it, when it, like just before it even has the potential to reach that fever pitch of everyone talking about it. Like, you know, we're all, we all hear about it. And then, like, within an hour later, in, in like an hour later, it's done. Um, you know, you brought up like, you know, the usual names, uh, baseball reporters, you know, who, who are just kind of like saying the same thing over and over again. Um, Bob Nightingale hasn't really been involved with this one, uh, as much (laughs) as like, I'm thinking of like Morosi and, uh, did John Heyman maybe, I don't know, but, but I'm kind of fascinated with, uh, Nightingale and, uh, he's great. Yeah. I I think there's a I, I have a theory that he has his he doesn't get any notifications that he set up his <laughs> Twitter that he set up his Twitter so he doesn't hear a single thing from a single person. Um, now I don't follow I don't follow him so I don't maybe he interacts more with people than I realize but I've never really seen him interact or respond to someone and there's something I find awesome about the idea that 
everyone is just screaming at him and talking about how like, oh my gosh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Look, you know, and, and anytime he tweets something, people say, people always tweet out the obligatory, uh, you know, opposite, you know, is about to happen because Bob Nightingale just said this was going to happen. And the idea that collectively baseball Twitter is, is laughing at Bob Nightingale but really, he's laughing at yeah. us because he's not hearing a single word anyone has even said going back to the beginning of when the Bob Nightingale hate started. I, I hope so. I hope that there's like a mute all feature and he just like pressed that for the entire yeah. Twitter. That'd be the best thing ever. Now, the alternative is that he knows exactly what he's doing and that he tweets things out and, and purposefully like tweets out those fuzzy pictures or, or <laughs> did something wrong and then just sits back uh, and kind of like enjoys listening to people yell at him and, and, and call him names. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't enjoy that. I, I know I wouldn't. Uh, I, cause at times I feel bad for him, you know, yeah. I feel bad for like, I know he has a son who, who's like, what a beat reporter for the Reds. Is that correct? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel bad for his son because there's no way his son can escape uh, seeing all the things, all the vitriol being thrown at his dad, um, you know, throughout baseball season. I mean, it, it'd be impossible if you're a beat reporter to not come across Bob Nightingale uh, hate at some point. So I, I part, guess, part of me yeah. feels bad, but. I, I started, I remember maybe a little while back, maybe a year and a half ago, I used to get really, fr- I know I've never, first off, I've never followed Bob Nightingale, which is, <laughs> I have a whole theory about this too. So uh, I, I never followed him, and I used to get really frustrated when he'd find his way into my timeline, and he'd say, like, Patrick Corbin, who as you can already put on the Yankees roster. And I think, what is going on with this guy? And then I kind of had a similar thought to you where, you know what? He's honestly just trolling. He's doing, he's doing uh, like, the, the pantomiming version of Joe Strauss is what he's doing. And it, I, that's when I started about a year ago – Every time I would find, and now I, I, I do not actively seek him. I wait for somebody to retweet him into my timeline, and I don't really even look at my timeline. I'm the worst Twitterer ever. And I, if I find him and he pops up, I, that's why I always tweet at him something if he's like, uh, they, the, the Marlins stuck by their guns and they finally traded Giancarlo Stanton. I'll just tweet at him, you stuck by your guns. Because it's the most childish, infantile thing that I can think of that is grade school level stuff. That if 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 you're a beat writer, you're probably like when you see it, you're probably laughing when it comes up. Like, what the heck is this? And the other reason I started doing that is one day I just randomly looked into his mentions, and he gets just, I mean, harassed <laughs> and beat up, and almost to like to the point where you're like, man, this guy does no one deserves to be treated like this, even for his stupid predictions and everything. And I thought, well, maybe we can have some fun with this. So. Yeah, I think you're on to something. I think you might have cracked the Nightingale code. Well, I, I mentioned those pictures. Like, even his profile picture. Like, what is that? It's all, like, blurry and blotchy. Like, uh, oh, I, I, don't know, I don't know where that picture was was taken from. It's, it's uh, I, I think, for the same camera he uses to take, like, the picture of the field when a team is running out to celebrate and it's all blurry. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 th- I know some people... Uh, Matt Trueblood's been saying block Nightingale for years, but I, I think all of our, most of us are so much richer for having <laughs> this character um, walking amongst us in the crazy Twitter Twitter world. Yeah, we're going to find out that Bob Nightingale is like underneath the White House, like like the movie Dave with, with Kevin Klein, where he, it's like, it's a, an impersonator of Bob Nightingale who kind of looks like him. And that's why the picture is skewed, like why it's all blurry. <laughs> And he's just, he's subbing in, trying to do the best job he can for Nightingale while Nightingale recovers from whatever. All right. Yeah. I could, I, I could see that. I haven't seen Dave in a while. To be honest. That's the, uh, the president. Uh, yeah. Kevin. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The, I actually, uh, so now that I, yeah. now that I think about it, I think the last time I was on, we actually brought up Dave, believe it or not. The movie Dave? Yeah, I think so. I could be wrong. Oh God. I don't know. My mind is lost. Well, I know when you do Prospects After Dark, you have a whole row of uh, DVDs. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're, you're one of the last uh, of, of the people walking around who still has the DVDs on display <laughs> in the living room. Uh, <laughs> do you have Dave up there? I don't. I'm embarrassed. I'll have to go to a Blockbuster video and pick one up. Are, are those in any sort of order? No. Okay. 
Because I, yeah. I still have CDs. Uh, oh, I still have all of my CDs out on display, and they're in alphabetical order by artist. And then within each artist, it's in order of discography of when the album came out. So, for instance, like for Dylan, like, uh, ah. you know, Blonde on Blonde is before, like, uh, Blood on the Tracks because it came out before Blood on the Tracks, uh, if that makes sense. It's no, a, I like, I like that a lot. Thing, yeah. The only thing I have, like, as I turn around and look at them, as I set up my prospects after Dark Chair, uh, the only thing that I have is, like, the Lord of the Rings movies are together, the uh, Star Wars movies are together, The Office is together. Like, that's that's the only type of uh, organization I have. All right, all right. Well, uh... Sorry to derail, <laughs> and that's how you completely derail. That's Welcome to Prospects right. After Dark with Alex and Kyle. Uh, <laughs> Let's talk about the Astros and the Red Sox and this yeah. whole uh, this whole thing that's going down. Um, so, to bring everyone up to speed, although I'm sure everyone is up to speed, on Monday the punishment came down for the Astros and uh, Hinch and Jeff Lunau were both suspended for a year. They got fined. Um, the organization got fined five million dollars. And they lost uh, their first and second round draft picks in the year 2020 and the year 2021. Um, and then in the immediate aftermath of that, Jim Crane held a press conference and axed both Lunau and Hinch. So they're gone. A couple things I want to hit on this. Um, first, I actually thought the punishment was appropriate mm-hmm. and fair I didn't think it was too harsh, and I didn't think it was too. Um, I didn't think it was too light. I, I thought it was like anyone who thinks anyone's like, oh, well, this is like, what's to prevent teams from doing this if uh, you know if you can get a World Series title? Like, well, a couple things on that. One, you don't automatically get a World Series title mm-hmm. if you cheated, and if we're being all, if we're all being honest with ourselves, we don't even know if. That's why the Astros won the title. They may have still won the title anyway. Um, I, you know, it's something we'll never know, and that's why people. That's one of the things that's so annoying about about cheating like this. Uh, second, there is not a single manager working today, or potential manager, who looks at the idea of being suspended for an entire year as not a big deal. Yeah, like that's a huge deal. And if you see players on your team who are doing something that could set this sort of, uh, you know, punishment in motion based on this precedent, you'd be crazy not to stop that. So I think the deterrent is absolutely there. Uh, now, when it comes to punishment, there's, there's often two reasons why you, you level down a punishment. One is the deterrent, but one is also just to, um, to, to p- the actual punishment part. Uh, and so if, if you're someone who looks at what the Astros did as so egregious, um, and I think there's certainly that's certainly a valid opinion to have, but that it's so egregious that they deserve more, then that I certainly understand. But I, I really take issue with the idea that this is no deterrent at all. I, I think it's absolutely a deterrent. Um, and so I want to get your thoughts on that. And I also want to get your, because you're, you're good at this stuff, I want to get your thoughts on how much it means to an organization like the Astros to lose those four picks in 2020 and 2021. But I'm I'm with you. I think that it was an appropriate punishment. Uh, Last Friday during Prospects After Dark, it was asked a lot, and I I tried to be noncommittal towards what I thought a good punishment would be because I don't have any idea. Uh, My my assumption is, and I guess it was validated that my assumption, the the commissioner of baseball can only do so much in this situation. And just kind of a, a throwaway line on prospects after dark the other night, I said, I want it to be double what the Cardinals got for the hacking scandal. And it ended up being exactly double what the Cardinals got in, in the hacking scandal. Instead of getting fined $2.5 million and losing uh, two draft picks, the Astros got fined $5 million and lost four draft picks. Now, the draft picks are actually, uh, a, it's it's a harder fine for the Astros than the Cardinals because it was the Cardinals' 
first two draft picks. So when they sign Dexter Fowler, they forfeit their first one, their first draft right. round draft pick, and it would be you know. So they they actually benefit. What happens with the Astros is if they were to like lose their their second pick or whatever uh, next year by signing a free agent, it would just roll over until twenty, you know, whatever it is, twenty twenty two. So, so so they're taking a first round pick no matter what. They're taking what yeah at least at some at some point. At least two first yeah, two, round two, draft two, picks. Some, yeah, yeah. No matter and, what, whether okay, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And same thing with with their set. I, I believe it's their second pick. It's not even their second round draft pick, but it might be their second pick. Either way, that that's pretty harsh. And you know, I don't view this as I don't view this investigation as over. I think the Astros part of it is over. I, you know, I think that we need to look at it that way. This is only part one of a two-parter. When when we find out what happens with Cora, who of course got fired tonight uh, from the Red Sox, or was you know they came to an amicable resolution to part ways or whatever, um, I, when that comes down, that's when we should all be making our final judgment on this. But this is pretty harsh, and it effectively ends AJ Hinch's ability to probably ever be a professional a manager. Uh, again in baseball you know he might be a bench coach he might be a consultant or something like that and it almost certainly ends the major league career of Jeff Lunau I can't imagine especially with the way that he you know his his uh his farewell letter his farewell tour so bad so bad what in the heck was that that was terrible but the way he handled it effectively ends his tenure in a major league front office I would think you know, not unless he's willing to start at the bottom somewhere or, or whatever. But sure, we see the one year, uh, the one year suspension for both of those gentlemen, and I get it. But it's an it effectively means that they will never ever have the same role of prominence that they once had. Uh, it effectively ends their major league careers if you want to look at it that way. So uh, it seems pretty harsh to me. It seems in line, and. Uh, you know, uh, let's wait and see what ends up happening with with Cora and the Red Sox. Uh, now, as far as oh, go on, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to ask you. Do you think there's a chance? Um, now, obviously, we know Cora's already. Uh, it was announced right before we started recording that Cora's already out with the Red Sox, as you mentioned. Do you think because Cora was linked to the Astros in both 2017 and obviously the Red Sox 2018? Um, and as I understand it, when I say linked to, I mean he was. Um, alleged to be involved in both sort of schemes. Do you think there's a chance he gets double what Hinch got? Meaning a two-year suspension, or yeah, I personally think that they, he's going to be the uh, well, now he deserves it when I say scapegoat. That's not the right terminology, but I think that he's going to be the example that is made, and I I think that you're looking at something more than two years. I think you're looking at five oh, years. Uh, oh, you know. Man. Yeah, and if not, like a lifetime suspension. It all comes down to, and I was thinking about this today, like, you know, why did Lunau, or why did Lunau, why did Correa get a lifetime ban? Why did the GM of the a, uh, the, uh, the Braves, whose name I'm not going to pretend to pronounce, just like last time I was on the show, uh, 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 why did, he, yeah, Capolello, okay, why did yeah. he get a lifeline a lifetime ban? It was because they did not aid the investigation. They worked actively against the investigation. So I guess it all comes down to Cora's uh, willingness to uh, help the investigation as opposed to work against it. But I I think you're talking about at least a handful of years. I don't think two years is going to be enough. I think they're going to make an example of him. He he almost comes across, and even in that, uh, he almost comes across as the ringleader of this, as the mastermind behind it. And everybody else was almost kind of like uh, an active, willing, but... uh, you know, a, a, a willing participant where he was the mastermind. And I think they're going to come down hard on him. I think they're going to come down really hard on him. And I'm anxious to see, in addition to uh, any type of suspension or fine or whatever he ends up getting, what the Red Sox get. Because I've got a feeling the Red Sox are going to get hit a little bit as well. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see. It's tough with them because they had fired their general manager, uh, who was their general manager at the time. And have since replaced him. So I, I, I'm anxious to see how that all goes. The, the, the situation with the Red Sox is, is going to be interesting to follow. And I do expect Cora to get hammered. And, and when I said five years, you seem surprised by that. Are, are you thinking something more along the lines of two years? Um, I, I just think that sounds 
I, I don't know if I'm being a wimp here. Uh, I, I just think Hinch and Cora deserve to be punished, but I don't want them out of baseball forever. Um, and I, I, don't, I don't even want – I'd like to see a world where they're even allowed to manage again, um, especially it sounds like Hinch wasn't – believe me, it's Hinch's job if he finds this to be wrong to stop it, and he didn't do that. But he wasn't the one who was like setting it up. In fact, there was even this weird report that he like broke the television. What, did you see this? I, I or or did something to try and like circumvent what they were doing? I don't know. It was it was very weird sounding. Um, and so I don't. There's a part of me that has a little bit of sympathy, um, especially. Uh, I mean, it, I I just imagine a scenario where it comes out like. 20 teams are doing this and like all of a sudden in one off season, like 20, 20 teams have to find new managers. Uh, that wouldn't be the, that wouldn't be the most surprising thing I'd ever heard. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's just because I like Cora and I, I think Hinch actually, you know, even though he's employed by the Astros, <laughs> seems like a decent guy. He seems like one of the few decent guys that, you know, was around that operation. Um, so, so no, I, I, I really, but I, I speak on no authority here. You could be 100% correct with the five years. Uh, Cora certainly seems to be uh, deep enough in it or deeper in it than most. So it's going to be interesting. I, I know people were, some people were clamoring that, you know, since this was kind of like a player run operation or at least mostly a player run operation that players should get suspended. Um, and I, I think two things on that. One, I guess they're setting the example of, look, we are, you know, we're not just letting the crap roll downhill. We're, we're going after the people who are supposed to be in charge here. Um, and two, if MLB had any inkling, has any inkling that this is more widespread than just the Astros and Red Sox. Um, and, and let's say there was like, say they think there's a chance like there was several teams doing this. They can't run the risk of starting a season with like 150 players suspended. <laughs> you know, they like, I don't know. I think it would be dangerous to suspend like uh, 15 players from the, or however many were 15 might be high. I don't know. However many players from the Astros were benefiting from this or at least partaking in it. Um, I just think it gets a little trickier when you start suspending players. Although I certainly understand the mindset that people would have as to why weren't players suspended when it seems like it was the players who were really driving this. Man, you know, the easiest answer for me and why I didn't even think about it, uh, about players getting suspended is I just assumed that it was partly because it's e like, as the commissioner of baseball, it's easier to go after front offices and owners than it is to go after players to have to deal with the, uh, the players association mm -hmm. is a whole different beast, especially uh, levying fines and suspensions for something like this. I mean, you're talking about years of appeal, probably going through the, the appellate process. But I think that your point is really the, like the second point in particular that you made is really the, the, the nail on the head. This tells, uh, from a commissioner's standpoint, it tells every front office, this is happening on your watch. And if you're not paying attention to it, then it's on you. You don't have players to fall back on. You don't have an, a manager to fall back on who will also have to suffer for it. You will. You want to be general manager of one of the few, like one of the few available jobs in Major League Baseball to be a general manager. You want one of those? Well, you got to make sure you're responsible for this. And uh, not only are you responsible, but it, you're responsible to a very, very, very uh, incredible degree that you cannot get out of. You know, you see this, you've got to end it. If you see it again, then it's up to you to make sure it doesn't happen again. And I think it, it was a very great way to get the point across that something like this cannot keep happening. Or maybe if you do it with a player, you know, I, I don't know if that's going to deter other players from doing it. Sometimes to stop something like this from happening, you've got to go to uh, the head, you know, before, you know, you've, you've got to go that way instead of uh, starting off at the players. I, I don't think, I, here's my thought is just like with steroids, I don't think it would have mattered. I, I don't think if you started finding people for steroids that it's going to stop people. Like when, when everyone was hitting 68 home runs and 70 home runs and 66 home runs, that wasn't going to stop people from doing steroids. You could, 
You could keep hitting them with fines. It wasn't going to stop them from doing steroids. They didn't take it seriously. It wasn't until other people started getting in trouble. And the fines were years long. Uh, and when, you, like you said, when you're talking about teams and hundreds of players, like where do you draw the line there? So I'm with you. I think that this sends a clear message to every front office that's up to you to make sure that this doesn't happen. And if it does happen, then you have to suffer the repercussions of it. Yeah, and also, you know, you spend you suspend AJ Hinch for a season. You're probably not losing a ton of viewers if you spend if you yeah. suspend Jose Altuve for a season. Um, that's a different story. Like you know, the players are the product. You kind of have to treat them differently um, when you're thinking about monetary interest as well. Uh, and I'll also say, you know, with regard to Chris Correa and, you know, why he got suspended, you know, kicked out for life, it's, all, it's always worth mentioning that he, he was convicted of a, of a federal crime, you know. Yeah, um, my bad. And that said, you know, baseball, baseball's investigation doesn't have to necessarily, uh, you know, go into that you know, that they can just do their own investigation and, and judge how, how badly they think what he did violated their own kind of, you know, rules and whatnot. But well, and regardless, um, I've said this before and I'll say it again, even in spite of committing a federal crime, that prison sentence was ridiculous. And I'm, I'm glad he is no longer in prison because prison sounds like an awful, awful place. Yeah, even for someone like him. And you're right, I definitely undersold it for sure. Oh, no, no, you don't understand. Um, but, it, but it's a valid thing to ask, and especially with regard to like Cabuela and, you know, other people. Like, you know, the fact that they even use this, you know, kicked out of baseball for life as an actual weapon. Like, you know, I, you would think yeah. that would be reserved for like the worst of the worst. So when I say that, I, I include Pete Rose because, you know, gambling on your sport especially while you're a manager or player is really like the original sin of baseball. So um, the fact that we've seen them leverage that punishment in other ways is, is pretty significant. Um, But no, I I will repeat what I said. Prison sounds like an awful, awful place. Yeah. Yeah. It's the only place that I think we can all agree. Nobody wants to go. No, I I, I don't, I I do not want to go there. (laughs) I mean, Uh, don't get me wrong. I'll do a pad from prison, just one, but that's it. I yeah. won't. I really don't. I don't. I don't. Please don't do that to me. Prison, man. I don't know. Uh, it would be terrible. Uh, <laughs> seems like it would take forever, too. Yeah. Like, I, like, like, a year in prison seems like would go very slowly as compared to a year when you when every day is not the same. Sounds terrible. I mean, <laughs> it does, yeah. right? Yeah. The, uh, here, in, uh, here in St. Louis... In St. Louis County, they had a county executive who was sentenced to prison uh, for, you know, uh, like corruption scheme, pretty much. And sure. not even like not even his time in prison because he's still in there. Uh, they've actually commuted his sentence since, but he was like convicted to four years in prison on like August 9th, I think it was, and he didn't go into prison until like the last week of September. Can you mm-hmm. imagine those two months? What that's what that's like to be all right. I I've been sentenced to four years in prison. I have two months. What am I, what does the, like two months? What am I going to do in this next two months? Every day you wake up, you're thinking about all right. I've got one less day. Like that's that's torture in that, and that's yeah. not even in prison yet. I yeah. I it's. Do you know? Did he have the option of going immediately? Because if so. Like, let's say you had the option of reporting immediately, <laughs> or you could just take your two months to, you know, tie up loose ends or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, how mad would you be at yourself? Like, like let's, let's assume you took the two months. How mad would you be at yourself during those last two months of your prison sentence knowing I would be out right now yeah. if I just started this immediately? Well, so with, with this gentleman, uh, Steve Stanger in particular... He, oh, uh, I, I remember. I remember reading about this. But, yeah. He, so the reason, part of the reason why they gave him a little extra time, is mm-hmm. they they had a baby. He and his wife had a baby. Oh no, that's t- that's what a terrible story. Can you? I mean, can you uh, even yeah. imagine? I, I cannot. Me either. So yeah, he he stayed out of prison a little. They they uh, kept him out of prison for a little longer so that he could be there for the birth of his kid and then be there for like I, I don't even know. I'm just going to speculate. It was like a week after the the birth of the baby and then into prison he went. Oh man, Kyle, you just uh, yeah. Really- <laughs> 
ruined my evening with that yeah. story. But here, I will say positive. You always got to look at the positive for things yeah. like this. He was sentenced to 46 months, and about a month ago, they commuted his sentence to 27 months. Okay. So they, they almost cut his time in half. Uh, so there's at least that. And he's in he's in some amazing, well, I mean, even like the most cush prison you wouldn't want to be in. But he's in Yankton a Federal Penitentiary. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll never forget that because it makes me think of Deadwood. Because mm-hmm. they're always talking about Yankton. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> anyways, mm-hmm. he's in Yankton Penitentiary. And it is, if you look it up online... Uh, you'll find that it is considered to be like the the most resort like prison in all of America. The the uh, Club Med. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but this guy kind of deserved to go to prison, if I remember. Oh yeah. There, I mean, okay. if you guys get a little free time, you need to look up some of the fun stuff that Mr. Steve Stanger was doing while being county uh, executive of St. Louis County. All right. Well, we will hope he learned his lesson and won't do that ever again. Uh, yeah, I, I feel, uh, is there anything else based on what we've talked about today, Kyle? We talked about Nightingale. We talked yes. about Austin Dean and uh, the other guy. Yeah, Diawell. <laughs> Diawell. Um, we talked about Donaldson, Arenado. Uh, anything else you want to add? No, like no. No, I feel like we, we did some, some really great work today. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, I'm going to move on to the uh, – chirp of the week and since cheating is kind of the subject matter at hand this week everyone is talking about uh cheaters and uh, baseball players who have cheated i decided i would do some research on cardinals who have uh quote unquote cheated uh and when i say research that means about 20 minutes before we got on i just googled uh cardinals who (laughs) cardinals who allegedly cheated at baseball um, and I, I came across this story, Kyle, written for Bleacher Report in March, on March 1st, 2011. Now, most of us know Bleacher Report now, um, but what it used to be, uh, because I, I believe it was sold to like Turner Sports, I want to say like around 2013. Um, and since then, they have slowly made steps to make it a pretty reputable uh, website company or whatever, um, as far as I understand. But, but before that, and back when this article was written, it was basically like the Wikipedia of, uh, only, but way less reputable, <laughs> like, like way, way, like, you know, I read Wikipedia a lot and I, I'm, I feel pretty comfortable with what I'm reading. Uh, that was never quite the case of Bleacher Report back in the day. You know, no. anyone could just throw something up there. Um, there were often listicles, um, and uh, it usually uh, didn't meet the highest journalistic standards. Um, but anyway, this article from March 1st, 2011 is called Alex Rodriguez and the Top 50 Cheaters in Baseball History. Uh, and I'm going to rattle. I'm gonna, I searched and I found a few cardinals on this list. Uh, Kyle, would you believe the 35th biggest cheater in baseball history is Ryan Franklin. That's a, I could, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. And we just yeah. talked about prison sentences. Yeah. I, so, I can't, yeah. I, yeah. I don't, like, I don't know for what, like, I don't I, I, understand. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what he did. Um, in 2005, and I, I corroborated this with other uh, sources, because uh, that's necessary when, working off a Bleacher Report article from 2011. But in 2005, Ryan Franklin was suspended for 10 days uh, for steroids. He was, this was under the new, I believe, steroid rules um, that had just been implemented. And he had been, and he was the eighth person suspended um, based on the new uh, testing of the new rules. Now, the reason why we may not have heard about this or we may have forgotten about it is because this happened one day after Rafael Palmero got, <laughs> got suspended, you know, following him, uh, you know, wagging his finger at Congress. Um, y- you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, oh God, the best thing ever. Yeah. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, g- great performance by Rafael Palmero, uh, sh- wagging his finger at Congress. And then, uh, I mean, that whole thing was stupid anyway, but, and then getting, uh, uh, busted for steroids, but yeah, 
Ryan Franklin, the 35th biggest cheater in baseball history, uh, according to this article. The 30th biggest cheater in baseball history is a guy named Nels Potter. Uh, Are you familiar with that? Are you familiar with Nels Potter? Old Nelsy. No, I can't say I am. Well, in 1944, Nels Potter, he he debuted with the Cardinals, but in 1944, he was playing with the Browns. Uh, And I should note, when Franklin got suspended, if I didn't say it before, he was playing with the Mariners, you know. So, you know, these guys clean up, really clean up their acts. (laughs) You know, we don't tolerate that stuff. But uh, yeah, in, in 1944, Nels Potter was the first player ever suspended for throwing a spitball. Oh, wow, that's crazy. He got suspended for 10 games for throwing a spitball. Uh, he denied it and said he was actually just going to uh, his mouth because uh, he couldn't get a good grip on the ball and that he was not throwing a spitball. Um, but, and this is from his Sabre bio, he says uh, he welcomed the suspension and he went on a vacation with his wife and they had a kid born nine months later. Huh. Well, yeah. That's how you so, spend a suspension, family. Yeah, yeah. So um, some people, I guess, handle suspensions better than others. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's Nels Potter, who uh, debuted with the Cardinals way back then. And he is the 30th biggest cheater in the history of baseball. And the seventh biggest cheater in the history of baseball. And the last Cardinal I'm going to talk about on this list. Um, and uh, he may have been the only other Cardinal on this list. There may have been some other names who... We're very loosely linked to the Cardinals. I don't know. But you can probably guess who the seventh biggest cheater in the base, in baseball history is, um, Kyle. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, of course. It's Mark McGuire. Yeah, yeah, Mark McGuire. Um, according to Bleacher Report from 2011, Mark McGuire is the seventh biggest cheater in baseball history. What can you say? Uh, he, I guess, cheated. Yeah, he, he was taking supplements um, and steroids, and he probably should not have been doing that. But so were a lot of other people, and the 70 home runs were that summer was still awesome. So I have certainly forgiven him, uh, yeah. forgave him a long time ago. Um, if you're curious to round out this list, number three for the biggest cheaters in baseball history were the 1951 San Francisco Giants. I oh, assume yeah. that's for stealing the signs. Um, you know, speaking of you know sign stealing, uh, that led to Bobby Thompson hitting the shot heard around the world and basically oh. winning a World Series. Um, Number two, Barry Bonds. Um, and number one is the 1919 Chicago White Sox. Uh, yeah. Of course, the eight men uh, from the Chicago White Sox who were banned from baseball for life for throwing the World Series that season to the Cincinnati Reds. Um, and that is your Chirp of the Week. Uh, cheaters in baseball. Uh, so let's never forget that Ryan Franklin is the 35th biggest cheater in the history of this sport, according to some. Yeah, that's a cra- I Poor Ryan Franklin, just tainting his legacy. First off, that's an absurd thing. Like, this, this, whole, <laughs> this whole article is completely absurd. Um, I, I think that's why I, I wanted to talk about it, also just because I needed to find something very quickly. But uh, I, I would love to have just seen the thought process or the algorithm or whatever sort of <laughs> form- formula that went into creating this. Uh, uh, after him, the number thirty-four is Ken Caminiti. Like what? Like Ken Caminiti is like way more uh, tainted. I feel like by um, by this stuff than Ryan Franklin ever was, and he's only one spot ahead. Uh, so I, yeah, I don't know. Um, Ken, I, I mean, know the, it's going to sound. Rest in peace, by the way. That, yeah, that, was, that story. The way Ken Caminiti. I was going to say Ken Caminiti's cheating di- directly like resulted in his own death. Yeah, yeah. That's terrible. Sad, sad story, Ken Caminiti. Um, I certainly didn't want to end the show and the chirp on the week on a sad story, but it looks like that's what we're doing. Kyle, um, thanks as always for jumping on. Uh, It's always a pleasure so you can uh, kind of tell us what's going on with all these minor leaguers as well as all these other issues going on in baseball. Um, Speaking of which, is there anything uh, in the farm system or anything uh, you have coming up that – uh, Cardinal fans need to know about, or should we just wait for the next prospects after dark? <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll do a prospects after dark in the very near future. I guess there's a couple things on the horizon. Of course, at Birds on the Black, we'll have our Dirty 35. 
I think that we're going to start doing that. We're going to start unveiling the Dirty 35, our top 35 prospects in the Cardinals organization. I think we'll probably do that the probably when hitters report to spring training. We might do it the first spring training game. I haven't decided yet, uh, but you're going to want to check that out. And uh, we'll see how it goes. But I, I actually have the birds on the black press pass for winter warm-up. Uh, so I would love awesome. to be able to I would love to be able to go to winter warm-up and provide amazing coverage for birds on the black uh, this coming weekend, uh, January, I believe 18th, 19th, and 20th. But I'm not 100% sure if my job is going to, uh, my full-time job is going to allow for it to happen. But uh, I can promise you, uh, to the audience, not only uh, the Chirps audience, but the Birds on the Black and the Prospects After Dark audience, that uh, I'll be putting on my serious pants for that particular event. And uh, uh, hopefully, if I'm allowed to go, if work allows for me to go, I'll be able to provide some amazing content one way or the other over at Birds on the Black. So you're going to want to check that out. All right, we we are all dying to see Kyle in his serious pants. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you you can follow follow Kyle on Twitter at uh, at Kyle Reese. Um, I am Alex Crisofoli. You can follow me on Twitter at AlexCard79. I'm gonna go edit Ryan Franklin's uh, Wikipedia page to <laughs> add that he is the uh, biggest cheater or the 35th biggest cheater in baseball history. And that does it for us. Uh, Tara should be back next week. Thank you all for listening and take care. <laughs>